Our Old Testament reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Listen now to the word of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. The word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is taken from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 1. I'll be beginning at verse 14. This describes the calling of the first disciples of Jesus. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So I was told early on in life, if you want to pursue a vocation, then you have to take the time to learn about that vocation. You know, if you're going to embark on a career, whether it be a lawyer or a doctor or a teacher 
or an accountant, uh, you need to assess all the requirements that are necessary to get you that career. And you have to ask yourself, am I willing to go through all that uh, I need to go through to get the skill to meet the required standards? Now, being a part of the military, uh, training was a big part of what it was to be a soldier. You know, if you wanted to be uh, excel at a certain uh, position in the organization, then you got the training. Your military occupational specialty, your MOS, is given to you when you meet the standard. And you cannot function in this capacity unless you receive your certificate of affirmation. You prepare, you train in order to make yourself ready for the demands of the job. But that was not emphatically the case with those fishermen whom Jesus called to be his disciples. When Jesus called these fishermen to follow him with the promise that he would make them fishers of people, he doesn't ask for their credentials. He simply says, follow me. After Jesus received his baptism and then spent time in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights preparing him for his ministry, he began proclaiming the good news. Mark's gospel says he appears on the scene saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has drawn near, repent and believe the good news. And then Jesus turns his attention to calling his disciples. These would be his closest followers in his ministry. He was looking for a core group of people who would form a kind of inner circle uh, devoted to him. They would be the ones who would travel with Jesus from town to town. They would be the ones who lived with Jesus, ate with him, and knew him and would know him in an intimate way that others did not. So the Gospel of Mark provides us this description of what this calling of those first disciples looked like. Jesus is walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two men, Simon and his brother Andrew, and they're casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. This was their vocation. And Jesus said to them as they're casting their nets, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately, the Gospel of Mark uses that word, they dropped their nets and followed him. Jesus walks a little further down the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He sees two more would-be Followers, James and his brother John, they were in their fishing boat mending their nets with their father, Zebedee. Immediately, again we see that word that Mark uses, immediately Jesus called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat and followed Jesus. So all I can ask is where's the training plan? You know, where, what were the conditions that Jesus set for them to qualify as disciples? He doesn't mention any. And you have to wonder, what were these guys thinking? 
you know, uh, when they when they dropped their nets. And, or, or, you know, I wonder if they even knew anything about Jesus because he was just beginning his ministry. Maybe they heard about this guy who was going from town to town saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. They couldn't have known much about him, though. Yet when Jesus summoned them, they dropped their nets and they followed. No discussions, no questions, not even as much as a goodbye. And yet I can't help admire that quality about those first followers of Jesus, willing to set aside everything and to, and to grab the moment that Jesus availed to them. They didn't ask that Jesus furnish them with their credentials or they were not clear about what the future was going to be. What was in store for them as followers of Jesus? They didn't know, but they were determined to find out. And don't we wish that we had that same kind of, you know, that same kind of passion to seize the moment And to see where the grace of God will take us when we do. Now, I'm afraid that if, you know, the writer of Mark's gospel, if he was writing about me, and he gets to that part where Jesus says, follow me, Mark would write, and immediately the questions followed. Where are we going? How are we to prepare for this adventure that you're taking us on? How long will we be gone? Where will we be staying? What do I get in exchange? And I can just see Jesus standing there patiently listening for a little while and then finally moving on. There are times in the Christian life when immediate is the appropriate response. And it could be that we need to ask ourselves if we are perhaps too calculating, too hesitant, and too cautious with our faith. Because these are what prevent us from seizing those opportunities when they're available to us. So last year, on my vacation, I visited an old Civil War fort in North Carolina called Fort Mason. And it stands slightly inland to the Atlantic Ocean. So as you can see here, there is a water moat that surrounds This fort, currently it's empty, but in the days in which this fort was active, uh, they would fill that with water as a part of a way of securing that fort. And what I discovered is that, you know, the way that you filled that moat depended on the tides. When you wanted to fill it, there is an aperture that you open that allows the water to come in when the tide is high. And if you want to drain it, you wait until the tide goes down and you open that aperture and it drains out. The idea is you have to act when the time is right and when the tiding and when the tides are right. And I would submit to you that there are certain moments in life when the tides of the Holy Spirit are right in your life, times when the presence of God is beckoning you to some new challenge, some new vision for you. And you must open that aperture while the moment is there 
for you to grasp it, for you to do so. And I'm thinking that, you know, that's something of what occurred with those fishermen disciples. When Jesus beckoned, it was as though the, the, the tide of the Holy Spirit was rising up within them, and they said, yes, this is the moment. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to act when those moments come? Or do we delay, thinking the tide will rise again? After all, there is always tomorrow. Well, for these disciples who answered Jesus' call, they weren't thinking about tomorrow. They heard the life-transforming call of Jesus, and they said yes. They said yes because, you know, we may never get the chance to do this again. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the Christian author of many books, uh, described his, Christ, his calling into the Christian faith, a very gradual one. Uh, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, and when we visited England uh, last year, I was able to visit where he taught in Oxford and also his home where he lived. That was a big thrill for me. I've written, read most of his books, but C.S. Lewis actually was an atheist in the earlier part of his adult life. Very intellectual person, and his intellectual mind just would not allow him to, to put his arms around this, this idea of a Jesus who was God and, and how we're supposed to believe in this Jesus and so forth. But he kept wrestling with this and trying to come to terms with what the Christian faith was and how that seemed to go against the grain of his own rationalistic way of looking at the world. And he described that there was a day in which he was riding on a bus, in which he had the sense that he was holding God at bay. And he was shutting God out. And he said to himself, you know, I can either open the door to the Christian faith, or I can keep it shut. And so he opened the door. And he admitted that God was God. And he called himself the most reluctant disciple, and convert in all of England. Lewis recognized that the tides of the Holy Spirit were swirling about him, so he yielded himself over to those tides. That was his beginning. You know, the greatest people of faith, people that we admire, are not necessarily the smartest people. They were not those who were considered particularly well-qualified In fact, the Bible makes it very clear that some of the people who we call saints had very, very frail moments in their lives. They were flawed persons. But what set them apart was that they recognized when the Spirit of God was swirling about them and they pounced on the opportunity. Matthew, the tax collector, the would-be disciple, he's sitting there uh, at, at his tax desk with the coins piled high, the symbols of his own personal wealth. And Jesus steps up to that desk where Matthew is sitting and he says, follow me. And the Bible says he got up and left everything and followed Jesus. When Isaiah heard the words from God, whom shall I send, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, 
At first, Isaiah is hesitant. Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. But the tides were rising. The call of God was becoming clear. And he responds, Here I am. Send me. Or I think of old man Abraham in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, uh, a man whose wife is barren, he's in his 70s, and the call of God says, I want you to pack all your belongings, move to a foreign land, because you are going to be the father of a great nation. And he said, yes, even though it made no practical sense for him to do so. Because responding to the call of God is more important than doing what is practical. And when someone accuses you of being too impetuous with your faith, with the gospel, you might want to question their motives for asking you that. And what this means is that you know, we don't train to become disciples. Rather, we become disciples and we get our training along the way. None of us can say, I am a made disciple. We talked about that a little bit last week in relation to our baptism. Each of us is a disciple in the making. Jesus' followers would have much to learn about what it meant to be a disciple as Jesus pulled them along in his ministry. But there has to be a beginning. And they seized upon it. Discipleship can be described as both moment and lifetime. As Jesus' followers, we walk the journey, the path called faith, and along that path there are moments when the beckoning hand of Jesus is pointing us in the direction of where we should go. You know, during the civil rights movement of the 1960s, Martin Luther King He was a primary spokesperson. And those who remember those times, uh, it was a great deal of upheaval in our country because it forced the nation to look at itself, to confront the reality of its own racism. And despite all of this discord, Martin Luther King and his followers pressed on. And it was during this period of upheaval that a fellow clergyman wrote a letter to Martin Luther King And he asked him to pull back on his efforts. And in this letter, he says, Martin, perhaps you are in too much of a religious hurry. Be patient. Allow God to work out his purpose in God's good time. After all, the Bible says good things come to those who wait. Well, Martin Luther King wrote back to him and he said, this is God's time. And the time is now. Time is not our friend. Action in time is what matters. You know, for Martin Luther King Jr., this movement was not a political movement, a social movement. It was a godly one. It was not that, you know, good things come to those who wait. It was the urgent call of, as similar to those first disciples when they heard Jesus say, follow me. Now, this is part of what it means to be a Matthew 25 congregation, something which this congregation has committed itself to. And it is a challenge to the congregations in the Presbyterian Church USA to examine those structures of hate 
and racism, which continue to rear their heads in events like we saw three years ago on January 6th. People overrunning the national capital wearing T-shirts with the words Camp Auschwitz or six million Jews, not enough. You know, we should not be content to say, well, God will work it out in the end. God works out his purpose through the actions of those who choose to follow him. We are the hands of Jesus, willing to reach out to the least of these. We are the voice of Jesus, speaking when appropriate against terrible atrocities such as this and such as continue to happen in the days in which we live. This is God's time. Now is the time. Discipleship is about seizing and also about letting go. Notice these disciples, they let go of their fishing nets to follow the call that Jesus beckoned them toward. The invitation, follow me, is also the invitation to leave behind. Leave behind our nets, our boats, And in this instance, two of these disciples left behind their own father. We never get anywhere if we're unwilling to leave where we are. We accept Jesus' invitation to follow, not by accumulating, but by removing. And now may be the right time to ask, what needs to be dropped in your life? What are the nets that entangle you? Or what about the little boats that contain you in your life? I'm convinced that wherever you are in your life, there is something, something that you need to let go. Something you need to let go so that you can embrace the call that Jesus has for you, uniquely for you. This is the one who knows you. This is the one who is urging you to be urgent. Follow me. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. To him be the power and the glory now and forever. Amen.